Well, welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast today. This is episode number 309, and our guest is one of you, or actually a couple of you, listeners of this show who happen to be married and also are hunting partners in the backcountry. We hear from Kimber and Richard about a recent hunt that they had this fall already, where Kimber filled her elk tag with her bow in Idaho. And it's a great story about that hunt, but while we have Kimber on the podcast, I also wanted to talk to her a bit about the female perspective on backcountry hunting. Admittedly, this is a quote-unquote weakness of the podcast where we just haven't had many female guests. And I know that there's many female hunters out there who do hunt the backcountry, such as Kimber, and I was excited to talk to her today. So this is a great listener story. You'll learn about the female perspective on backcountry hunting, lessons learned from their recent hunt, things like tracking, and much more. So appreciate you guys as always for tuning in. And if you have a story or a question for us on the podcast, go ahead and send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Also, don't forget that this fall we are running the Exo Experience Photo Story Contest. The quick version is this. We just want to see more of your experience in the backcountry. So whether you fill a tag or not, all of these experiences that we get to go have in wild places are special and they're unique and they're worth capturing, remembering, and sharing. So go to exomountaingear.com forward slash experience to learn more about the podcast and how you can enter today. There'll also be a link in the show description. But right now, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Kimber and Richard. Well, Richard and Kimber, it's good to have you on the Huntback Country Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. We we're so excited. Um, dang excited. I'm glad my wife's here so you guys can learn something from her. Me, I just, I'll teach you everything uh, what not to do. So, but just excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Mark. Yeah, you bet. Um, just a quick intro. I know we'll probably tell part of the story of your guys' background, maybe a bit more in hunting, but uh, if you had to give a one minute spiel for who you guys are, where you're at in the country, that type of thing, like just the basics for listeners to get to know you a little bit, what would you say, Richard? Yeah, so we're uh, born and raised here, Southeast Idaho, um, right pretty close to the Western Wyoming border. And uh, I grew up in, in Rigby, uh, Kimber, my wife here, grew up in Shelley. We now live Ryrie, you know, it really we're 15 minutes north of Idaho Falls, which most people know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we've been married now for five years as of last month. And uh, we hunt together every single year. And yeah, we've got a little two-year-old little girl and uh, life's staying good. We're busy, busy workers and, and got a uh, COVID's been, been good, but kept us so busy the last couple of years. But um, yeah, we're, we're dang excited. We're already in the second week of September. And <laughs> so, but yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're passionate people in the outdoors um if it's not hunting season he's still in the mountains riding snowmobiles yeah i, I spend a lot of time in, <laughs> in the mountains it's my my getaway as many people probably listening and yeah um i don't like to half do things and so but more or less i just like to have a good time so luckily my wife and i were you know way better friends before anything else and so we literally do everything together so it's really fun 
That's awesome. Kimber, uh, we were just chatting a little bit before the show and Richard, you mentioned going on like one of your dates, if you want to call it that. One of the early ones was a hunt uh, with Kimber yourself, your dad, and then invited Richard. So just hearing that with your dad, did you kind of grow up hunting with them quite a bit? Yes. Ever since I was able to get my license, I have been going out. Our main hunt that I'd go on was a rifle hunt and we'd pack in about eight miles, six, eight miles on horses. And we just live out there for a week, <laughs> which I love to get away. But I remember my first year I'm real, I play sports also. And we had to convince the coach that I'd miss tryouts because I had this hunt <laughs> yeah. and luckily she was an off- awesome coach. So I didn't even try out the year. I had like a early tryout and I still was able to go out on that hunt. That was the first year that I got my elk. I got a spike, but yeah, I grew up hunting with my dad and my brother. Um, and my uncles, my grandpa, everyone's always hunted. So that's what everyone talks about around the table. It seems like, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. How old were you about then when you did that and got the spike and all that? I think I was in sixth or seventh grade. So hmm. how old are you when you can get your license? <laughs> about what, 14, maybe. Yeah, 12, I think I so. Know. Yeah, that's cool. If, um, you know, this is like its own topic and everyone has like unique experiences. But if you look back now, Kimber, what are some of the things that your dad did well in terms of you know, cause I think of a shoot, I was just hunting this or not hunting. I was shooting with my daughter this past weekend to get her ready for hunting season. And she's 12. And I feel like, you know, there can be this fine line between pushing them enough where they're like growing and, you know, facing discomfort, but then obviously you can push them too hard where now things aren't fun and it's not a good situation. Right. So, yeah, um, as you know, I'm a father now as many, uh, people listening to this are probably either are or wanting to get kids hunting in the future. Um, just from your personal experience, what are some of the things that stand out that your dad did well with you? Oh, that's a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) I I've always had such a close relationship with my dad. So I think part of it too, I was really competitive and I knew my, I mean, my dad grew up talking about stories of going hunting and like how cool it was to be on the mountain and, even the stories of when the fog would set in and he'd get lost. Well, he knew where he was, but you kind of like lose your sense of where you're at. And I just, I don't know if it was me being competitive, but I just wanted to be there with him, like making those memories. Um, And I always remember him talking um, just about how fun it was and knowing that because my brother would go with him. And if they talked about going out, I'd get like jealous and just be like, well, I could go out and do that and I could hike and I could do all these things. So I'm going to start doing it. (laughs) So I'm trying to think of if there's any ways like he pushed, I mean, he pushed me all the time to be like, Hey, if you're going to come with me, you got to keep up with us on the mountain. You got to carry your own gun. Um, But it was in a good way that he's like, we'll be here for you, but just know if you're going to come, you got to carry your own weight. We, I mean, we have heavy packs too. So we don't need your heavy pack also in your gun. So you have to kind of hold your own, but no, it's going to be a good time in the memories that you're going to make. Yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. And if I can just say anything about that, you know, and um, her dad, you know, my father-in-law's got grandkids now and whatnot, and just watching him with the grandkids, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's very similar to the way he was with Kimber growing up. 
and he personally is just, he, you know, he's kind of the ultimate coach. He does that for a profession, but he loves to break things down, you know, as far as the gun, the safety, the bow, the release, the Every follow detail. through, the details, you it know, makes you like excited, but he makes it, things. he makes it very fun and it's so family oriented, you know, they're her family, you know, as far as hunting and that does everything together. And so the kids want to do it. And uh, anyways, and then Kimber herself just being a unique person she is ultra competitive and so i could just see her you know she's like of course i could do that i could carry more weight than my brother i could carry more weight than anyways and so but yeah that's it's pretty cool yeah that's neat it's uh yeah there's that certain type of personality it sounds like it's you kimber where it's almost that little bit of reverse psychology if you tell somebody they can't do something and they want to do it even more you know so it's like <laughs> yeah. oh i mean you could come but you're probably not up to the task and then it's like oh heck no, i can do that yeah it's like with my bow i have to carry my own bow and people are like why don't you just let richard carry it i mean you carry the kids for nine months when you're pregnant i'm like oh i can carry my bow you watch me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny that way. But again, I just, I see her dad, you know, and, and I think of the same way with my little girl now, you know, I want to, I want to raise a little Kimber, you know, being out hunting, being, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Cause my wife's beautiful, but at the same time, she, you know, I laugh and say, I married a tomboy that's beautiful. Cause she, you know, she really will. And I, I, I joke with my friends in all seriousness and say, Hey, my wife will kick your butt, you know, on the mountain. And I mean it. But, you know, I could just, it's cool to see in their house, they've got all sorts of little, you know, pictures from clear back in the day of Kimber, you know, holding the horses or carrying her pack or whatever that might be, or standing with, you know, the, the antlers of the elk that they killed. And uh, you can just tell from a very, very young age that she's having so much fun. And, you know, knowing her dad now, he packs plenty of junk food to make a kid happy. And it's really, it's just the whole family dynamic. And, uh, and again, just including everybody, you know, like we've got, we've got some little nephews that are her older brothers, little, little kids. They're, they're a little older than our little girl, obviously. And, and they, it's, we call it brainwashing. It's funny. We joke in the family, it's called brainwashing and those kids cannot wait to go hunting. I mean, as soon as they're capable, their legs are capable of going up the mountain. I can guarantee you they're going to be there. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, you know, we'll dive into a story that we want to talk about from a recent hunt that you guys had, but you know, part of what we want to talk about was getting some of your perspectives, Kimber, as a female hunter. Um, you know, and I, I mentioned to you, that's like, we haven't had many ladies on the show. It's not because we don't know that there aren't a bunch of badass backcountry hunting ladies. We, Steve and I don't know a ton personally and things like that. And then, you know, we got connected with you in a recent hunt and a story and I was really excited to get your perspective um, and understand some things and just have a different angle. Because at, at the end of the day, I don't care if you're male, female, black, white, whatever, like if you want to hunt, hunt, and I'm all for that. But at the same time, I do know that different people have different experiences. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. so from the female perspective, one thing you mentioned is like a note is that hunting isn't glamorous. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what, what does that mean to you? Why is that something that, um, came up as we were talking about chatting? Um, I think just 
Um, when you, I mean, you can get on social media so easily right now and you could probably find a female hunter and it probably looks like they got up nice and early and did their makeup and their hair and every picture's perfect. But in all reality, you wake up at 4 a.m. and you barely roll out of bed to put on your clothes while you're cussing yourself. You have to wake up that early. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure if you wanted it, I mean, I could probably make it more glamorous, but I'm not going to wake up an hour early just to do my hair because I'm going to be sweaty and <laughs> it's going to probably get tree sap in it. And I really don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you could make it glamorous. I mean, it would be pretty hard because in the end, you just don't really care because you're more worried about getting on the mountain before the sun rises and just being, I mean, being comfortable out there. You got your gear, you got your pack. And if you're more worried about what you look like or yeah. how the picture looks like in the end, you're just stressing way too much about stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think social media can, you know, it has its place and it's uh and I, I really understand it and I use it, but I think it can be kind of abused a little bit in the, the hunting industry and it, a little bit fake almost, you know, and I'm not that there's, you know, I'm not, not pointing any fingers saying people are being fake or whatever they, they can do them. But the one thing about Kimber, she truly puts in the hard work. Like if anybody that hunts knows how much work it is from, from pre scouting setup you know, doing, you got to put in the work if you're going to be successful every year. And it is a lot of work. And on the mountain, it's a grind. And the way we hunt, you know, we, we, we usually are backpacking or packed on horses, whatever might be, we're, we're going to put ourselves in a, whatever spot we can to be the most successful. And Kimber's not focused on, you well, know, displaying <laughs> to other people, you know, like a glamorous mm -hmm. hunt and how, you know, she flat out does the work. She packs the quarter of elk quarters. I mean, she, she processes the animal and, uh, it could, I mean, you can make glamorous if you were on a, I don't know. I don't even know how to make glamorous. <laughs> but I even think about it. Like if, um, when I get up, I mean, you wake up early, you're getting on the mountain. And then like this year when we got an elk, I can't just sit back and watch the guys get out the elk. I have to help do things. I mean, I could never do it myself. That's a, that's a tough job, but you have to get in there. Your hands are going to get blood on them. And if you're freaked out about that stuff, it's, it's not really going to help your situation situation mm -hmm. to even be there. I mean, I would feel really bad to watch them all do all the work while I'm sitting there <laughs> right. eating my candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or taking selfies or something. <laughs> yeah. Like love my crew while I sit here and take pictures of myself. <laughs> yeah. You talking about how much work goes into hunting. Um, what does that look like for you guys? Because you're both hunters and you want to do it together. So like, it's one thing, like say right now I'm preparing to go off on a week long hunt my wife is like fully supportive of that, but it'd be a different story if my wife was also trying to get gear together. We were both leaving and we had a two year old okay. and all that stuff. Like, so for you, Kimber, you're balancing, you know, being a mother and you're balancing work and a husband who hunts and now you want to hunt with them. And yeah, hunting is so much work. So what does that look like for you guys as a couple to really balance that out? 
Um, yeah, it's really, I mean, like you said, we have a little girl and she is a busy body. Um, and then just, I work and then just getting ready for hunting. But a lot of it, I really have to keep telling myself that the laundry will be there if I don't do it. And it's okay. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, no, I need to stay home. I need to clean the house. I need to do laundry. I need to do all these things. But I have to remind myself that sometimes I can let those things slide so that I can go be on the mountain and make memories and go hunting. But I mean, Richard helps me a ton getting stuff together. We usually have all our hunting stuff together already. So it's mostly just getting things that we really need. We don't need our winter clothes if we're going out in September. Um, and then just making sure, I mean, a lot of times I'll go get the food. He does a lot of the packing of the clothes, the packs, getting the trailer ready. And those things are the horses. And I try to get the food and hopefully we get together and make sure we have everything. So we're not on the mountain wondering where this is and <laughs> losing things. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it's definitely tricky. Like you said, you know, you can have a supportive wife, but when you do it together, you don't realize everything's kind of doubled. So things I was just barely thinking of while she was talking is like gear, for example, right? Like I like to have very high quality gear that works. You know, I listen to podcasts. I listen to things. I like to do my research and I like to have good quality high-end gear that I know is going to perform, that it has its place, that it's not like in my pack, but I'm like, okay, I use it once in a while. You know, I'm going to, whatever's in my pack is going to be utilized daily. And uh, so for that, for like an, an example, I bought an expensive sleeping bag uh, a couple of years ago. You want to know how many times I've used it? Like hardly ever, because <laughs> I usually get to use the older sleeping bag because my wife uses it and so one financially you know gear is expensive there's a lot that goes into it and so you kind of got to be ready for double there you know double the boat double the sleeping bag double the exo pack or you just the... encourage your husband to get it and be like <laughs> oh wow this really fits me yeah, it's kind of funny because <laughs> you know you, you worry as a guy to, to spend too much money on hunting but when your <laughs> wife's included in it i guess that's a better excuse <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to have that battle but then the other thing is just obviously schedule. And when I think of that, we both, both sides of our family, you know, love to hunt and, and do a lot of that way. And we've got so much support on both sides. So we've yeah. got two grandmas that at the drop of a hat would be so excited to watch our little girl. But the other thing I think of is we do a lot of preseason scouting it. To me, that's huge. It's so important. And a lot of the time Kimber packs our little baby on her back and she's not so little anymore. <laughs> For one, I know it's a workout, which we love a workout. And then two, it's cool to just have her. It's funny. Last year, our, my goal literally was to be able to kill a bull in a spot where Kimber could pack our little girl into so she could be there with, you know, with the, the, the bull on the ground, you know, seeing the whole process. And we ended up getting her in there. So I was able to get it down. Kimber was very close and hiked the baby, you know, the three miles up brushy, nasty country. And the baby laughed the whole time. time. We're just lucky that way. And so we got a picture of the bull on the ground with the baby. And that was kind of our goal this year where Kimber killed it definitely wasn't happening this year. Um, So just including the family together, you know, getting the baby involved, bringing her out when we can scouting, you know, but we are so blessed with family. And honestly, when I drop off our little girl to grandma's house, it's easier to drop her off because she does not want to leave once I drop her off. (laughs) 
yeah. but then just house chores and all that just you know i gotta i gotta do my part and pitch in extra to be able to give her the time to feel like she can step away you know ladies want the house in a you know particular order and uh, maybe us guys uh not maybe you know particular me i need to do a better <laughs> job helping her out i'm sure there's a lot that could attest to that but um really just you gotta you gotta think double and you gotta think together and and just make it work you know we spend a lot of time at night shooting our bows and so you know we prepare through the day we work long you know long hours then we shoot our bows at night and the babies enjoy it and we try to get them little play bows and it's just it's just really part of our whole family lifestyle on both sides and so that's kind of how we make it work um it is it is a lot of work yeah it's cool um thinking of gear kimber uh you know there's been more and more over the last handful of years more and more gear options targeted specifically at females which is cool but like what have been what have been some of the good aspects of that what are some of the struggles of like oh i wish they would have a or i'm glad they finally have a whatever like when it comes to being uh, a lady and wanting good hunting gear yeah the first thing i think of is i just remember growing up ever since my first hunt I was, I mean, 14 years old till we just got married five years ago. I'd always just get my brother's hand-me-down clothes or hunting gear that was on sale that I loved. Um, but I finally got myself a female pair of pants, which is so amazing because they're just cut <laughs> differently. And I'm like, these are so nice. They're not so saggy. <laughs> well, it seems like, it's even, like the best thing yeah, ever. It seemed like even before, like I had bought her a couple pairs of um, maybe lower end hunting pants, but they, again, they, they seem like to be kind of cut for a man. Yeah. They, I feel like, I don't know how long it's been, but it seems like they're more geared towards women's gear. Like they're realizing there's women that hunt and it's been so nice to actually have hunting clothes that you're comfortable in that you can hike in and you know that they'll fit. Um, and that's one thing that I've enjoyed more than anything. <laughs> yeah. Not hiking around in a trash bag. Yeah. <laughs> For guys who may be listening to this and maybe their wife's getting into hunting or their daughter's getting older and they're taking them along, like what are, what are, uh, to get specific on clothing, what's some of the stuff that you like? Um, I just got a pair for Christmas of Sidka pants. They're the Timberline pants. And I have really enjoyed those. Um, again, they just fit like women's pants should fit. <laughs> and then I've had some first light tops that I've really enjoyed. They're like the half zip up tops. Mm -hmm. And really one of them is, um, like a hunter's green color and I'll use those year round. Cause it's not a camo that I feel like I'm looking like a weirdo going into the store with a camo shirt on. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but I really like my first light stuff. I have a first light rain jacket that I even run in because it's waterproof. So when I have, I, we actually ran in a race this year and it was a downpour the entire race. And my first light jacket was awesome for that. And then I have it in my pack um, when we're out hunting too. I haven't had to use it out hunting yet. Um, I'm trying to think what other gear. Oh, I have really good my boots i finally got a new pair of boots this last year too my husband's really good at getting me gear because usually i'm like nah we don't need it I, i'll be okay but i got a new pair of exo boots and they have changed my life I'm crispy oh crispy <laughs> not exo <laughs> uh crispy boots don't tell people and we're making boots now our phone's yeah. gonna be ringing <laughs> 
<laughs> get my gear mixed up. But my, I mean, it makes a huge difference to have really nice boots. Um, I mean, ending the day after hiking all day long uphill and downhill and everywhere, it made a huge difference to my feet. I know a lot of people talk about it, but boots are something I feel like you, if you could invest in something, it would be your boots and your pack, but your boots, because your feet, if you can't hike on your feet the next day, it's going to really, really be painful walking on blisters. I think that's it. I think that's a huge one right there. You know, I think you could probably live with anything else. Um, boots are probably one of the first and foremost and, and pack. And along the lines of, you know, EXO, for example, when uh, K3 came out with the, sh- you know, we could uh, do a shorter frame. Mm-hmm. Um, that was huge. And, and so Kimber had always used a backpack that really didn't fit her as well. And um, I feel like it the, wasn't a packing backpack either. It was just yeah. a backpack. And so when the K3 came out and with the shorter frame, um, I, I feel like it works really good for her. She's, you know, hauled out a few bowls with it. And I love my pack. And it uh, <laughs> does really good with it. So I haven't even uh, talked to you guys about that. How tall are you, Kimber? Five, six. Okay, cool. Yeah. So we, yeah, the short frame with has been great with a lot of, a lot of ladies for sure. And then we actually, um, we have a, we haven't released it publicly. We've actually sold quite a bit of them as people just hear about us talking about, but we basically made one for ladies who are even shorter. So like we kept running into females who were, you know, called between like five foot to five, five. Right. Um, Like my wife's five, two, and even that short frame, just way too tall on her. Um, and we definitely had more demand from customers who are in that size range. And so, um, again, it's not like on the website, but basically we have an extra short or like petite pack system. Um, that's worked great for a lot of ladies. That's why I was curious what, cause I couldn't even remember to be honest with you, if we got you one of those, or if you just run in the standard case. Yeah, I it's my pack has been a game changer mostly cause I know it's going to do everything that I need it to do. Like which, I know which what she eating. needs it to do is haul enough high chews, <laughs> like have a big enough. Yeah, high I really know where my stuff is. It's so nice to have a pack because I know where everything is. I'm not like taking it out because I need a different pack for this day, but I know my pocket that has my candy. I know my pocket <laughs> that has my flashlight when I need it. And I know that it can haul things of it when I need it to. Yeah, that's funny. I choose or you gotta yeah. have snacks. You, do. you got it. <laughs> you do. Um, so let's roll into the hunt from this year, uh, which is when I kind of first started chatting with you guys after hearing your exo experience, right? We're doing that um promotion and contest throughout this fall. And you guys sent in some photos and kind of a bit of the story. And I even told you, Richard, it's like we had mentioned getting the grand prize winner of this whole thing on the podcast to tell their story. And I was like, Hey man, I can't tell you you're winning the grand prize. It's like a week (laughs) into this, but I want to hear your story. Right. And so that's why we're here on the podcast. So, um, yeah, let's just, I don't know where that starts or how you guys want to pick it up, but the long or the short version is Kimber, you shot a bowl. You guys obviously learned some lessons both before and after the shot, things like that. But just roll us in because this happened quick for you guys with the start of the season of how things started to come together with that story. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'll, I'll kind of kick it off. So um, like I said, since we got married, you know, five, 
since I known Kimber six, seven years ago, she shot archery. Um, that's what we've been, you know, we, we'd choose archery any day over anything else just for the rush and the challenge. Um, last year we, we got her kind of a higher poundage bow. Um, she's pretty strong. She works out a lot. We were looking at like female bows, our bow shop was like, no way. She's already drawn too much weight. Um, it, it, we got her set up with a pretty cool Hoyt and, uh, she's pulling about 60 pounds, which is pretty Dang, impressive. Go Kimber. Right. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> you said I couldn't kill a bull if I wasn't, I wanted, I wanted to push pounds. her. So I've had a lot of, as many archers have, I've had a lot of, you know, heartbreaking experiences where you don't hit that bull just perfect. They are so strong and they'll keep going. And so I'm like, I want to be completely lethal. I don't want to one, do that animal injustice, but two, it's just heartbreaking. And it's, you got that pit in your stomach and I hate that feeling, but I still archery hunt for some reason. <laughs> but uh, back to this, back to the story, man. So last year she got that new bow and that was our goal. Last year we were going to kill a bull. Um, she was going to kill a bull. And I had some, I had some elk pinned down. I, I'd done a lot of, uh, done a lot of scouting and whatnot. And I was able to kill a bull pretty early last year. So the focus went strictly to Kimber to kill a bull. Um, the weather set in, you know, we had, we had winter weather, we had snow on the ground. It was rough conditions, but uh, we made a sweet stock on a bull that was bugling and got in on a herd, kind of shadowed them for quite a while. Long story short, there was two good satellite bulls that were bedded down. We body crawled army crawled through the snow and she got within within 50 yards and this bull stood up couldn't have been a better setup it couldn't have been and i shot short (laughs) (laughs) so she missed long story short she missed and it was story short my bow my shot was short (laughs) long story short her shot was short very short and so she missed <laughs> like hit the ground in front of the bowl nice. just yeah yeah I, i'm gonna blame it on our rangefinder because it ranged we're gonna say it ranged the fog and it <laughs> screwed me up that's my i'm gonna blame it on the I range think that's either what way happened, kimber i think that's i what think happened. so too yeah. either way i had i'd come off of a year previous to that and i am not proud but i'm proud to say that i missed three bowls in one year so and i, I learned i learned a lot from it and bounced back and uh, i've had some good years but so this just is kind of a little preface to the story. So this year we put in a ton of work, shooting, um, scouting, but really just shooting. So we did two total archery challenges, which I think is huge because it's one thing to shoot on flat, you know, flat ground in your backyard and practice all summer long. And, and then it's, it's so much different getting in the mountains and dealing with, you know, the angles, the shooting down, the shooting up, the you know, the wind and just, mm-hmm. you know, where that bubble comes into play and, you know, it's funny because you get on some angles and you, you, you'll be shooting. You're like, why am I feel like I have to camp my bow so far to get that bubble, you know, lined up correctly. So that kind of stuff in real, real life situation really helped Kimber this year. So she shot phenomenal at the, the two total archery challenges that we did. And so here we are back at our hunt. So opening day, I've had Kimber and I have had really good success in the last five or six years, um, killing elk early in September. Um, and we, we don't hunt the same area. We have bounced around in the last four years. We've hunted three different areas in uh, South kind of Southeast, uh, Idaho. And, uh, and so we have just had good success really with calling elk and getting elk into killing range early. 
And so we, we went into this hunt pretty confident. They aren't that, used to the hunters just yet. They don't know it's September. Yeah, there's a lot of different <laughs> things that it could be. But so going into this story, it was opening opening day. And I had, I had uh, really done a lot of uh, preparing, scouting. I used cameras, different things to kind of just figure out where the elk are at. Well, I was finding this, this summer that it seemed like the elk were higher than what they usually were um, in this particular area. And I, I didn't know if that was because of, I figured it was because of a lot of dry conditions, but then two, I think because of dry conditions, there was a lot of cattle that were grazing up higher. I felt like that had kind of pushed the elk up a little higher. And so um, I had a spot opening morning that I wanted to be before it was light. And so we, we woke up early, uh, two hours probably before light. We got up on the mountain, had probably an hour and a half hike in, and uh, we were in a spot, you know, a good 30, 45 minutes prior to light. We got in there, and I just found from the past that those elk aren't real super vocal early. But what they are, they are vocal at dark, it seems, or very, very, very first light. And so I wanted so to be able not to vocal early in the season, but they're vocal early morning, early morning, correct. Late at night. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to locate those elk and figure out where they were. So we got in there and we had a couple wimpy bugles and kind of figured out where some elk were, but just nothing was really fired up. And there was one bugle that was consistently going off. And I, I just felt like it was a hunter. And I'm like, man, how is a hunter clear back in here? And it was a good bugle, though. We couldn't decide if I it just, was I a just hunter. Couldn't, I couldn't decide. It was a really good hunter bugle or it was an elk. <laughs> so anyways, opening day turned out once it once it became light, we didn't really get anything real fired up. Couldn't really pinpoint any real you know elk in a specific spot. And so it was a pretty slow day overall Monday. Well, we hung out and I, and I just said, you know, earlier I've got this bench that I know elk crisscross. There's a lot of water on it. It's pretty dry. And, uh, you know, we're going to kind of hang tight around this area and wait for them to get fired up. I'm not going to go hike around and push elk until I can figure out where they're at. So we kind of held tight and, uh, it wasn't until probably eight o'clock. Right before it seemed like a switch flipped and, the, the mountains just kind of came alive. Like there was a, there was a bull that was pretty fired up. He was bugling hard. We were able to get him pretty close to us. And, uh, by we were bugling with him and I am, I I consider myself a terrible bugler that gets lucky once in a while. (laughs) And, and so long story short, we, we almost had this bull killed Monday night. We had him probably he was pushing cows and he just wanted to come in but he wouldn't so you he could was hear the cows you could hear you the could cows hear talking you it was fun them. just to like listen to them that night but it got you excited yeah to like know they're there like nothing gets you more excited than you waiting all day not hearing a bugle and then all of a sudden you hear them and you're like oh they are here we better be ready <laughs> yeah it's just funny how they can disappear midday but so that this was uh, opening day, which was a Monday, Monday, right? Yeah. Monday. Anyway, so yeah, Monday night, this bull, we, we, we did see him briefly crisscrossed, kind of skirted around, um, around us in the trees. Anyways, I, we kind of backed off of him. We had really good wind and we just, we put him to bed for the night and hoped that we would, you know, be in there before light the next morning and be able to find him. So we went, we went, you know. We went and camped and uh, got away from that particular area. 
And then this was Tuesday morning, which this is, uh, this is when things got real. So we, we got back up, did some, kind of the same thing. I got onto this uh, ridge that kind of overlooks this big bench where, where I, I know that just a bunch of bulls have been, been crossed and they're just hanging out good north facing slopes, heavy timber. And it's just thick in there, really. Well, we got right back in there just before light and kind of were bugling with the bull, had him fired up. And I, to our advantage, I'm still pretty certain there was another hunter in there that had the same idea. And he was packed in even up higher than us. And the cool thing is that really helped us out is he was bugling nonstop. And again, I don't know that it was a hunter, but I'm, I'm quite certain. And he kept this bull just fired up. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to even bugle right now. I'm going to yeah. just slip. We're just going to slip in on this bull. I mean, yeah, keep him entertained. I mean, I'm sorry if it's a hunter, but he's really helping us out right now. I mean, we, he well, was you up also above can't him. be sure either. I mean, you can't, yeah. right. It's tough. And so he was up above this bull and I figured either way, thermals are going down right now. We're below this bull. We're in a better spot. We're going to make it happen. We put him to bed the night before. So we slipped in and with, that other bull or hunter's help we literally slipped in very close to this bull completely silent and and the bull was getting fired up and i didn't i didn't want to bugle i didn't want to do anything i didn't want to kind of give away our location and uh i literally kind of sat back things seemed to kind of get quiet i'm like okay maybe just like the day before right as soon as it gets light you know we're we're probably 20 minutes after light now so still first light and I'm like, man, I man, it's probably gonna get slow again. So I literally busted out some snacks. Yeah. You can't make fun of me from eating snacks because yeah. he was <laughs> mid chew into his big old. It was nest. one of those. It was one of those things. In early morning, I'm like, I've got to get some food. You know, <laughs> like the adrenaline's getting to me. I'm getting a little shaky. I need some food. So I busted out. I was midway through my granola bar, literally. It, no correction it was not a granola bar it was his creation of a tortilla and nutella and bacon <laughs> okay strange strange thing but try it out guys it's the really elves good. melted i think yeah really good. so midway through my my uh my snack and i catch a glimpse of a bull through the trees coming and, in hot <laughs> well he's coming in hot and uh but he kind of held up and i started i started kind of doing some cow talk. He would make some kind of whiny noises, noises towards me. I bugled at him and I'm just like, what, you know, what do we have to lose? Most of the time I'm just, what do I got to lose? You know, there's more elk in here. If I blow them out or at least we blow them out trying and somehow spoke the right language. And this bull came in head cocked back and left his cows and just came in on a dead sprint. And like, it's kind of funny because last year when I killed my bull, I just remember being so locked in. Like I didn't, my heart didn't get racing. I was able to just make like a very like good controlled shot. Well, this came in and I knew it wasn't me that was going to be shooting. And so I, I was shaking like a leaf <laughs> and I, I wanted to have a hundred percent confidence that she was going to get it done, but I was a little nervous. He was nervous. I was a little nervous. And so the bull came in, we had him and I ranged him at 62 or 63 yards. And he was looking straight at us. And I'm like, Oh, he's got his peg. And I was whispering to her standing right next to me. I said, you're going to have to take a shot. You're going to have to take a shot. 
I'm like, wait, At 60, wait to draw. I, I didn't know if she was going to be able to draw yet. Cause she hadn't. And, uh, well, I couldn't draw because he was looking at us too. Just as she was about to draw that bull put his head back down and there was a big down, uh, tree. This bull like busted through this dead is kind of a deadfall, um, Damn. bunch of deadfall brush kind of busted through there and came right at us. And I, I just couldn't believe it. And so the bull then stopped again and had kind of his nose in the air and we had good wind, but I think he, I think he started to be able to wind us. He got, I think he, he I think it was smelling peanut butter. I think he was it smelling was. the bacon. <laughs> the bacon. The He's bacon. like, Ooh, that smells. That's juicy. really what got the elk. <laughs> that's what, that's why he came sprinting. Wanna, He's like, that's bacon. If you want to get an elk, you, you don't, you forget everything you've learned and you just get bacon and they're just kidding. I don't know. But, uh, anyway, so this bull stops again and it is, this all happened so quick and it was so, it was such an adrenaline, the way that this bull came in head cocked back, just running. And he stopped again. And I think it was 38 yards. I ranged him, but he was, he was, it would have been like a straight up frontal shot. And I just told him, wait, wait. And I was draw. I drew by this time. At this point, she had drawn her bow and I am still so impressed to right now, how long she didn't even realize how long she's held at full draw, My but adrenaline it, must it had to have been a good minute. I mean, I know that doesn't seem long, but at full draw, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. And that bull then came in a little bit closer and he was kind of quartering to us at the point. And I'm like, man, I don't want her to take this shot, but you know, I'm and not, he is, she's, she's going to take her own shot. This, you're thinking all this in your head. I mean, we've talked about it now, but he's yeah. thinking all of this in his head and the whole time he's nervous, not knowing what I'm thinking <laughs> in my head, but I, the whole time was waiting for him to quarter or turn so that I could broadside. get a good bright broadside shot. And as luck would have it, he did. He he whirled around like he was going to take off, but he stood there at broadside for just a few, just long enough for her to get a shot off. And again, it's brushy and thick, but we she had a pretty good lane. And as soon as she shot, that bull obviously whirled around. And right when he whirled around, I got a really good visual of the whole entire broadhead and arrow shaft of the arrow all the way up until the fletching. So that arrow had, had um, exited the bowl almost entirely, but was kind of stuck in the skin by the fletchings. And, but at that point we were, so I had shot and he kind of whirled around and ran up. And at that point he stood there for a little while. I mean, quite a three minutes, so, four minutes. Yeah. And then we started questioning, <clears throat> did you see the arrow because I missed or did you see the arrow because it was in him? So then we just sat there and we're like, well, did you miss? <laughs> Crap. Like, no, I'm, I know I shot like I felt so good about my shot. And I was like, I didn't miss short because I know last year I missed short. So if anything, I was going to miss high. Like I am <laughs> not missing short too years in a row so we kind of like we're back and forth did you miss yeah but He's you like, know i saw the arrow i'm like no i did not miss i know i didn't miss. you know how it goes mark after that yeah. happens and, and when you've been through some some either misses or you know you you hit an out you hit a bull subpar you just doubts come into your head you know like i'm not going to get excited until i see that bull on the ground or i see very very good blood because mm -hmm. i have seen bulls get hit bleed decent 
And I've watched them in some open country areas that we've hunted and they'll go a long ways and mm-hmm. either not die. And you'll see them the next day. My, we hit, we hit a bull, you know, quite a few years ago and quite a bit of blood. We thought he was good. We saw him later the next day, the next evening, and he was pushing cows bugling like nothing had ever happened. And I could have swore that bull was, was going to be dead. And it's, it, it just makes you as a hunter realize how you've, you've kind of got to hone in your craft. You and can't just go out and hope to, cause you don't want to go out and hope you have a good shot. And then you're just injuring the animal. Cause that will, that will make you overthink things way too much. Yeah. And it's funny. We all, we all hunt elk, but literally I love elk so much. Like it's my favorite animal. They're so pretty. I love the way they behave. It's just, they're, they're incredible animals. But so she hit that bull and I was like, where that arrow had exited i'm like that is a dead bull you know and but he ran off and he stood there probably 80 yards away and he had when he ran off he was standing in kind of the only open area but there was we were standing so still and he kind of had us pegged he really had no idea what had hit him it was it was was crazy but he stood there and i was like he's gonna go down he's gonna go down and well, we he tried to look to see if we could see my entry wound or if there was bleeding and we couldn't see. Yeah. The side he was facing would have been the, the entry and couldn't see anything. Well, he was standing right at the, the base of a very, very steep, like South facing, very brushy, but not, um, very like tall buck brush, but very steep. And he turned around and he started running straight up that. And I'm like, man, that is crazy. If we hit, if she hit him as good as I thought she hit him, he shouldn't be going. Why uphill. is she going uphill and not only uphill, but that is like steep. And so we watched him go up for probably 20 yards. And then, um, I had no, I knew this mountain that he was going up and I knew that there was little shelves in there. And so we lost, we lost sight of him pretty quick. I was, I was really confident that she had hit him good and it wasn't, uh, you were debating it. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. We both were, but I was like, no, I had a good shot. You have doubts, but I could see how good she hit it. But so we, we gave him probably 30 minutes and <clears throat> it wasn't, it wasn't probably 30, you know, after he stood in that, that clearing and then he went bolting up the, the steep part. It wasn't, you know, 20 seconds after that, I could hear him cough, yeah. which I thought was a really good sign. I'm like, he's, he's going to go down. And so we were really quiet, just trying to listen to him. Um, just couldn't hear much. And There's I wanted to, I wanted to kind of hear, hear ever. where he went and everything. So we got down out of the tree, out of, uh, we got down and uh, we were looking for blood. We got down to where she had shot at him at the base and where he was standing and we were looking for blood. We got a few good drops and where he was standing, he, well, we tried looking for my arrow to see if I missed, it would have been in the ground where he was, was, where he was standing. He had really, really foamy blood underneath of him. And from different, you know, past experiences, I just learned, you know, the importance of kind of knowing and understanding the blood. Like it's just, I see it's, it's painted, whether it's through social media or whatever, I feel like, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I just need to work on my shots or whatnot, but it just seems like people shoot at a bowl and they die so quick for me and my experience. It not, never works out that way. And it's, it's always like, man, I, I hope if I hit this bowl that I have blood, I hope it's not fatal. And I hope he can heal up really quick. 
or I hope he goes down really, really quick, you know? And so we got down, we had really good blood and I knew it was, it had there to be was lungs. A lot of blood. I knew it had to be lungs and the way he coughed, I'm like, okay, we've got really good blood. I think he's going to be right up here, piled up. I'm hoping. So we start going up, um, up the steep part of where he went up. And as soon as it turns steep, we, we lose complete blood. Cause we tracked blood for probably 50 yards following it, 50 yards. And then he, he went straight up and there was zero blood. We went from having really good foamy blood to zero blood. And so we went up probably another 50 yards and we could visually actually see at this point where he went. And so we knew the direction he went, but we couldn't find blood, but right up, there was a little tiny shelf and right where he stood flat again, we had really good blood again. And so you knew, and it was like three piles of good blood. And I could tell so that's you where know he, he was struggling. That's where he yeah. kind of spread blood. Well, then from then on, Mark, it's like, it's very steep, very brushy, very steep. From that last point where he coughed, <clears throat> we found two drops of blood. On our hands and knees. Hands and knees. <laughs> and I was just, you know, my anxiety is through the roof. I'm like, I cannot believe this right now. Like, how do we not have good, solid blood? Well, we had, we had three directions really to go. There was kind of a more so prominent, the most prominent kind of game trail or tracks, if you want to call it. There's so, only so many places a human or an elk can even walk in this thick stuff. Well, and before, to keep, in, to keep in mind, so we found these three. I mean, you can tell he had stopped. And that's probably where he had coughed. And we, when we got to that point, we saw all this blood. We kind of circled around, kind of went up to the side. And by this point, before we start really going down or up in a serious direction, it had been like two hours at this point. Yep. I just wanted to make sure that like we, we even we sat knew. down and ate something just to like get our head straight and be like, okay, let's think this through. Let's relook. Cause we didn't want to just walk around with our heads cut off stress that we aren't finding this elk. So we really had to like, recheck ourselves get some food in us because it had been it's late afternoon by this point and all we've eaten is a couple nibbles of your bacon (laughs) so so we had this real more so prominent trail that kind of went up and to the left and i'm like in both of our minds he's we're like okay he had to have gone left or right from here or down he's hit really good i don't think he's gonna keep going uphill and so we decided hey we're gonna we're gonna spread out about 50 yards from each other we're going to go left the way that this game trail is going that we feel he most likely probably went. And then we're just going to spread out 50 yards and we're going to, we're going to kind of work the mountain. Well, it wasn't, we spent, we probably went, I don't know, three, 400 yards in this direction. And all of a sudden Kimber goes, Richard. And I instantly, I thought she found it. And she goes, something just, I just realized something. She's like, I was the first one to walk through that clearing to the left. And we were, I was sure that he went this way. And she's like, when I walked through that clearing on that little game trail, she's like, I was pulling cobwebs off my face. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, no way. Like someone as bright as me, I wouldn't have even thought about that. But obviously that means he didn't go that way. I just remember walking through it and being like, nothing could have walked through here because I just got a pile of cobwebs everywhere on myself that's why you don't get glamorous you're gonna get cobwebs (laughs) (laughs) but it finally clicked when we were 400 yards from the last blood trail so we just went straight well we kind of pretty much just went back to where the blood was to restart 
50 yards from each other going a different direction because we're like, he couldn't have gone this way because I was pretty much the first one through there. So next thing we did again is we got on our hands and knees just again looking for, we needed like one more drop of blood to tell us which of these two, now we ruled out one, which of these two directions he went. So what we really decided to do, and I set a, a tracker on kind of my, my map app that I use on my phone. And I started, we got 50 yards apart and we just started um, kind Zig-zag. of zigzagging the mountain. Straight up hill. Straight up hill. And it was, it's so thick, buck brush, it's tough to, tough to go through. And I just could see on that map, obviously the, the, where I've already covered. And then I zigzag in between those. And so we kind of rolled going straight up out of the, out of the picture. So now we only have one real direction that he went and we decided to go up and to the right. Well, my brother was over one canyon, you know, as if we're looking uphill, he was one canyon to our right. And we're like, maybe the bull headed towards him. And uh, so we started, we started working the, again, zigzagging, using the, the tracker on the, the map. Pretty discouraged at this pretty, time. Really discouraged. I, exactly. This is four hours into after I shot. Well, five, because we waited practically. Oh, I don't and, know if it was that long. But it was a long time. Like, this didn't happen just in 30 minutes. It was a long time, and we started getting frustrated with each other because you're frustrated at this situation. Well, I was just I was just sick to my stomach because I knew what kind of blood I had, and I just, I'm like, man, I don't want to go through such this. good blood, and, and we had so, found my arrow. So, long story shorter, we... Uh, <laughs> We got, we got to where we were working up into the right. And I found, we, we got onto like a really prominent game trail in there. And again, it's just so thick that there's really only one place you can even walk or an elk can even walk. So we got on this game trail and I got on the game trail and I'm like, I'm going to work to back to the left. I see on my map, this game trail kind of cuts in between two tracks that I did with my tracker. And I'm just going to go this way. And Kimber literally said out loud, she's like, why are you going back that way? She's like, he didn't go that way. We already ruled that out. We need like, to work. Just come on. Come we need to work way. back this way. As we're yelling at each other because we're 50 yards apart. And, I, and then I just told her, I said, if we, because we didn't have um, good service. And I just said, if we get split up, can't find each other, I'll cow call to you and, and you can come find me. Well, I went down this game trail and I went down at probably 300 yards and I could not believe my eyes. There that bull was. And that game trail kind of led to a spot where there was like a good, um, like a good, bedding area. bedding area that was you would ne- never know it's there it's just like a good flat spot in amongst the steep steep spot and that i think that bull knew where he was going but he went in there and that's where he he finished and i i seriously couldn't believe my you eyes i finally yelled <laughs> Like, I went don't back. joke with me. Is he really there? He's there. I'm like, don't and be I, lying. This is not a joke. <laughs> yeah. So there he was. And we finally found him. And literally after almost giving up, that was, it was by far the craziest. I, I literally like knew this bull had died, but I could not find him. The only thing I was thinking is we're going to have to come back next week. Look for birds, look for, you know, smell. And I just, you, you hate that as a hunter. And I know it happens to people you and I've had it happen to myself. You, it's the worst thing ever. It, it really, oh, I hate it because I, I love that animal so much. I want to, you know, I want to do my part as a hunter and be able to recover it. And it just made me sick. So seeing that, that bull, that really nice bull elk on the ground, 
I couldn't believe it. And luckily he was laying in, it was very hot at this, this time. And luckily he was in the only part that was somewhat shaded. So we were able to get a hold of my brother and he zipped over um, fast as could be with my buddy and the two of them. So total, there was four of us. They got over there pretty quick. And so after they scaled the straight up mountain. For me, I'm grateful for them. They're awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's so much like in there that I just want to point out if people glossed over it. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind from the story is as hunters, we often get so focused on the blood. And obviously that's great when there is good blood, but then it's sometimes when we lose that blood, it's like, well, now what, right? Like we just kind of, we just space out or we get in our own heads or we give up, but like, what you did, Kimber, looking at signs beyond the blood, right? So those cobwebs and piecing that together, super smart. Obviously, you could be looking at things like tracks and um, just other sign, right? Like broken branches, stuff like that. So it's just, it stands out to me because I've been there, done that, is you get zoned in on blood, 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 blood. And then as soon as you lose that, it's almost like sometimes you're so tunnel vision on blood, you forget to look or consider other sign. So that was pretty cool. And then what you did, Richard, with the tracking is you're zigzagging and truly being able to look in your app and see, okay, I have covered this. I've covered there. I've gone here. And like what you said, you felt like you were going back in, into an area you covered, but you realized it was kind of between tracks. Um, exactly. And you knew that because you had marked it. Right. Um, so turning that trailing mode on to see what you have and haven't covered. Um, exactly. Just to highlight that as good, good strategy for sure. I couldn't, I just couldn't believe after sitting back later, later that night, once we'd packed the bowl out and I was looking at my, my track, <clears throat> I literally zigged and zagged probably. T- I'm not even kidding you, probably 25, 30 yards. It's just so thick in there. You wouldn't have been able to see him unless that you were I couldn't on that see him. Trail. And the whole mountain smelt like elk, you know, yeah. I just couldn't see him. And uh, it, it just was awesome that we hit that, hit that little game trail. And, you know, I was, I had my phone out on the tracker the whole time and I could just, you know, this is right in between one of my tracks. I, I might as well roll it out. It's prominent. You know, maybe this is where he walked and sure enough, we were able to find him. I just it's like Christmas it. morning because I got to walk up. Richard had already seen him, but he kind of came back towards me and he could see me walk up on him. And I was just it, I was like trying not to get emotional. I always cry when I shoot a bull, but it's just so cool to see all your hard work paid off. And I remember just going straight up to him and being like, we got to see where I hit him because I know I hit him and I know I hit him good. And it was a perfect shot right right behind his shoulder to his lungs. That's awesome. Well, don't feel like it's a, a female thing, Kimber, that you cry every time because I've been with some incredibly tough <laughs> dudes that cry every time they kill something. <laughs> I don't know what it just does. Even when like his brother and our friend hiked up, they were hiking up like so excited. I got emotional again. I'm like, you guys make me feel like a million bucks. Thank you so much. <laughs> like it's just, it's really cool. Like I think that's part of like another thing that makes me love hunting is when you finally see all your hard work all those nights you didn't want to go out and shoot your bow because it was windy or the nights you didn't want to go work out but you need to to keep up with the boys the boys on the mountain like it's cool to see all your hard work pay off and it just all hits you at once when you see that bull down so it's Mm -hmm. really cool to experience yeah 
That's awesome. So he's recovered. It is a great shot. You're obviously beyond excited. Have some good help with you. It's a, it's a great moment. One thing you guys mentioned in the notes as we were chatting before the podcast was um, uh, how to field dress an elk. And you guys were dealing with flies and hornets in the heat. Um, thankfully, I just, I've been super fortunate with not having to deal with crazy high heat too much personally. And yeah, like some flies, but there's not, not a ton of that with flies and hornets, but what did that look like for you guys in this instance or any advice that you'd have for folks who do run into that? Yeah. So they were so bad. It it was crazy. (laughs) I just couldn't believe how, you know, the the bull wasn't gut shot or anything. You know, she put a really good shot on him, but it was just instantly was covered by hornets. And I'm like, how do you get in there and do that with all these hornets all over it? Without and, grabbing uh, the hornets. It was mm-hmm. funny because last year, uh, almost a day apart, I killed a bull really early last year. And I didn't have a single problem with it. And it had to have been similar temperature range, but I didn't have a single problem with, you know, hornets like that. But a few years ago, Kimber and I were packed in and killed a bull together. I'd killed it. And uh, the same thing, it was instantly covered by flies and hornets. Very bad. And so I've got two comparisons here that I can make that really helped us on this one Um, with some of the, you know, whether it's just buddies, um, elks that elk that they've killed, um, just being very aware of how to efficiently um, do it as quickly as dress an animal or just, you know, quarter them out. So um, we've obviously learned the the gutless method. Um, We take, you know, and, and we can get a lot of meat out of it. And so the, the nice thing about this is we got in there and I had, once my brother and, and buddy had got there, we, we made very quick work about this. The main, the key things that I took away from this is one, being able to quarter the elk very efficiently and get that quarter away hanging. from the, the rest of the, the carcass and get it hanging and it's always game bags are one of those things in my pack that I'm like, man, it's such a pain to carry these. They got some good weight to it. I don't like anything with extra weight. I don't always use them, but you this is, this when is when kill. I really, it, it shown me that you, these are very important. So we were able to get those quarters, pull them away from the carcass, instantly get them into that game bag and get them hung up in the shade as quick as possible. And farther away from Yeah, and get it, obviously get it away from the rest of the animal. And that would, that really fit, you know, that, that takes the flies and the hornets away and you get that meat so you can properly care for it away, hanging in the tree in the shade, cooling and whatnot. But, you know, through the process, my brother did get stung I remember grabbing one when I was and doing. you know there's probably a few stings throughout it and it, it was uh, wasn't a super fun process but being able to not have to guess how to how to you know take care of that animal and having good experience doing it and having a good team that could really get it done fast and get it away really helped out where take us back five six years ago is more so when I when I had killed this bull early and it was covered the same way and it was only Kimber and I we were packed in a long ways. And this bull died and fell underneath of a bunch of deadfall. <clears throat> and the two of us were not nearly strong enough to pull this, this bull out of there. And I was not at this point, I was not very knowledgeable or aware of how to do the gutless method. I wasn't really aware, 
you know, I kind of just had to piece my way through it and I, and I was able to do it, but it just took longer. It took a lot longer. And I, I ended up actually gutting the elk and then getting it into a spot where I could drag it out from underneath the deadfall. And it was, it was pretty miserable, you know, with all the hornets and flies. Cause it was just me and you, it really tests your marriage when you have to do hard things. <laughs> like that. But that's why you're so close. It makes us closer. Yeah, but, but having those, having a good group, being knowledgeable about how to, how to take care of that animal. And then having game bags to get that, that meat secured, dried, hung, and just protected from all the flies and everything. So that was, that was a good learning lesson for me this year. Um, I took some good stuff away from that. I would say the game bags too are so nice when you're packing them out. Then the flies were on us while it was on our back also. Exactly. Because it would have been miserable having all those hornets on our back if we didn't have the game bags to protect them. Mm. Yeah. That's great. There's i uh, I'm sure we could keep chatting probably for another couple hours. <laughs> um, but before we wrap up, Kimber, just anything, anything you want to add, like whether that's from this hunt or your experience as a hunter, anything like that, that we haven't touched on that year would be kind of dying to share. Um, I think I was kind of thinking about it last night about what, why hunting has been so important to me and like why I enjoy, enjoy it too much like I just crave it and I really like being out there but I think now and maybe this is advice too for all those dads or the girls out there that are wanting to um hunt um every like mean you see social media and some some people just aren't confident in themselves because they see these girls on social media that are like hi out there they're so pretty yada 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 and sometimes girls confidence are just like broke and I don't know a better way to build your confidence than to go out hunting, go do things that are hard. And after you see yourself accomplish those things, like packing out an elk on your back or, Hey, I just hiked for three days straight and I am burnt, but I carried my pack the whole time. I carried my bow the whole time. It builds your confidence and it makes you realize like you can do hard things, whether you think you can or you can't. And it really just, helps your overall being like it builds me up hunting but now in my life I can do hard things at work or other things that come my way um and just other things to do with hunting it's I am very blessed to have fun people to hunt with and it's cool that my husband would let me take the shot even I mean it was a good bull and he wanted me to take the shot And I bet you if we were in the same canyon as my brother-in-law and friend, they would want me to take the shot. Like they are super awesome to not let their egos get to them and take the shot in front of me. So I am blessed to have awesome people to hunt with and just know that through hunting, I've learned so many lessons that's build my confidence and let me know, like I can do anything that's hard and I can be a better person because of it. Hunting's not just about getting the animal. It helps you for your life. Well, that is a great way to cap this episode. Kimber, thank you so much for joining us. Richard, thanks as well. Once again, guys, if you have a story, question, guest suggestion, or anything for us, send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. And don't forget about the Exo Experience Photo Story Contest running from September through December of 2021. Get the details at exomountaingear.com forward slash experience or look for the link in the show description. We'll talk to you soon.